Hello everyone. Today I have a special guest. His name is Anthony Asi. Anthony Asi works for Oracle as a senior principal technical advisor, part of the engineering leadership team, providing engineering guidance in the fields of cloud infrastructure and architectures, data center, cloud migrations, machine learning, big data, and other areas. Prior to joining Oracle, Anthony has worked for Google US in their cloud engineering team, focusing on strategic accounts. Anthony is also a senior adjunct professor at Golden Gate University in the San Francisco Bay Area, where he teaches about big data and other cloud computing topics. Anthony, welcome to the IJK podcast. Thank you, uh, Imad. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming for joining us, uh, Anthony. Uh, before we start, and for our listeners who may not be familiar, can you explain what cloud computing is in simple terms? Absolutely. Uh, you know, cloud computing is uh, is a business model. It's a business model about how we consume uh, computer resources. Um, and uh, it started by a pure definition from the NIST, the National Institute of Standardization and Technologies, that defined that in order for something to be classified as a cloud computing, it has to respect specific criteria, such as uh, being able to consume that uh, service uh, in a form of a service. So you only pay for what you consume. You should be able to build to be build uh, build for only what you are consuming, and and it's how you you provide these services to the end users or the enterprises. Uh, it does have like three flavors: three delivery model, the infrastructure, the platform, and the software. Uh, today, most of the industry is focusing on software, so software as a service, that's what it's called, because that's why you get the best value to your business, to the end consumers, because they just have to focus on the value they're getting. They don't have to worry about the backend infrastructure and all that aspect. Okay, okay, pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I remember when I was working at Google, like more than 10 years ago now, cloud computing was like a big, like a big thing, and it was like kind of happening at that time. And uh, I remember very well when they when they won the Jaguar account in the UK at that time, they said, you know, Jaguar has gone Google. I don't know if uh, I mean, I'm sure because you also worked at Google and then you probably heard that term a lot. So my question is, uh, you know, fast forward to today. Uh, I mean, cloud computing was a novel thing back then. But how big is it today in terms of like percentage, like if you want to give like a rough estimate, like are most organizations now, have they all moved to the cloud or like, you know, it's there's still like very big room of improvement in that space? Great question. Very great question. Now, uh, of course, as you can imagine, in our field of uh, technology, there's always room for innovation. And mm -hmm. tomorrow's cloud will be a bit different than what it is today. Uh, but uh, from a market perspective, today, the majority of organization has shifted some if not the majority of their workloads to a cloud service provider, and they're consuming their service in a cloud model. So as what we defined in the definition early on, that's like they're consuming it in a, a pay-as-you-go um, or as a service model. There's still many applications in our industry that are sticking on-prem. So by on-prem, we're referring to on-premises in our own data centers that might not be consuming consumed as a service. But... It's just temporary because maybe some rules and regulation, if we take, for instance, the finance industry, they have some strong rules and regulations. Some country, uh, specific countries might have specific rules and regulation to their uh, citizens' data, their uh, financial uh, assets, uh, uh, healthcare assets. So some of these applications, we're struggling yet to move them to the cloud. But 
it's just a matter of time when they will be fully transitioning to a pure cloud service model consumption. So back to your question, uh, there is still room to migrate to the cloud. It's we're still in the it's a journey. It's not a just task. It's a journey that's going to take years, decades for some enterprises, specifically the ones who consumes who has legacy uh, architectures, legacy legacy applications. But it's definitely something that's going to uh, continue. And uh, we estimate that almost uh, 95 percent plus of the workloads will be running in the cloud in the next five to 10 years. Okay. Um, can you tell us how you started your career in cloud computing? Like, you know, tell us a bit about uh, the early days. Sure. Uh, and I can really talk uh, about the early days because when I graduated, so I studied, uh, like you, so we, we studied the computer uh, engineering. And when I graduated, I went to do research. I was always obsessed by technology and I didn't want to just do uh, stuff that existed today. I really wanted to work on the next big thing, on innovation. So I joined a big research center in Europe called INRIA. It's one of yes. the most famous uh, computer science research center in Europe. And uh, I joined a team where we were working on a topic called HPC, high-performance computing. And the idea of HPC was mostly for scientific industry, which consisted of massive amount of power, massive amount of storage, high scalability, high performance, high throughput networks in order to crunch a large amount of data. Um, and we were working on those challenges and then we had to do things differently due to budget constraints and the challenges we were facing. And, you, you know, cost is always a challenge when dealing with IT and infrastructures at large scale. So we had to come up with different concepts to consolidate, to do something called multi-tenancy in our industry, which consists of sharing the same resource across multiple uh, applications, multiple resources, users, in order to minimize the cost. And so yeah. that's why we started defining a cloud computing concept model. And so early on, we start working on this concept. We've heard about cloud computing. We start defining cloud computing in the industry, uh, along with other universities such as Stanford, MIT, and others. And I was doing research in the topic. The next thing I knew, I was building portals to allocate users on the fly, provision users to, to co-use at the same time, the same resources at the back end, orchestrate provision and deprovision resources once they weren't being used. And it was pure research. Mm -hmm. uh, after, and, and then after that, I joined the military. I went to work for the French uh, military uh, defense organization in order to empower uh, defense by leveraging uh, cloud computing benefits. Uh, I published a patent in, in the field. We pub I published a book with some colleagues in the field. And, and then after that, uh, Gartner came and said, cloud computing is the next big thing that every CIO organization need to have on their agenda. And enterprises start wanting to hire cloud computing experts, but there, were, there weren't that many. Most of them were either in academia or research. Uh, and that's how I was like, perfect, now it's an official industry, let's go. Uh, and uh -huh. I moved in officially to the industry that's now called cloud computing. Which is now, you know, the big thing. Yeah. Exactly, and, uh, which is yeah. also now like uh, a commodity, right? When I started my career uh, almost 17 years ago in cloud computing, it was still like a field by itself. Today it's a commodity. It's like saying, oh, I work in the internet space, right? How ridiculous yes. to hear somebody today, Ahmad, that would come to you and say, uh, oh, I work in the internet, in the field of internet. 
Yeah, right? yeah. But yeah, true. 25 years ago, somebody would say, I work in the field of internet. You'd had an idea what they did, what they did, and it was different. But yeah, yeah, it's cool. funny how things evolve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things are moving very, very quickly, especially right now with this, you know, AI revolution as well. But, you know, more on that a bit later on. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get <laughs> Just a few. I mean, another question that would also uh, be interesting to listeners. What are the main benefits, actually, of using cloud services for businesses and individuals? Like you, you, you touched on that point a bit briefly in the beginning, but can you like give us like a bit more details on that? Sure. And I'm going to separate like individuals or end consumers and enterprises, startups, SMBs, etc. Yep. Let's start for our general audience with the end consumer, the end users like yourself, myself in our day to day lives uh, outside work. Uh, one of the best example I like to use is the following. Uh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, every time I would uh, refresh my personal laptop, uh, it would take me a week of dedication just to reset my environment, migrate my data, uh, uh, ex extract data from my previous laptop onto my new laptop, just set up the whole environment back uh, as it was before, making sure I don't forget any data or, or miss migrating any data that was on my previous laptop. And that would take a week, right? Reinstalling the application the same way you like them, right? Yeah. Uh, today, fast forward 20 years later, uh, I don't refresh my laptop the same uh, at the same pace as I used to refresh my laptop. Why? One of the reasons being is because all, most of my services are running in the cloud. So yeah. the processing power is in the public cloud. I just need a laptop that has a web browser. That's Correct. most of the things I need on my current laptop. Second, I don't need to make sure I have the latest and greatest processing technology or processor in my laptop or graphic cards because most of the things is being rendered in the public cloud. Okay. All I need is a fast internet connectivity in order to streamline everything. The same way we're doing this recording currently, it's all being streamed uh, over the internet, Yeah. Uh, right? And so having said that, you see the benefits if you extrapolate this for enterprises, anytime they need to refresh to go to the next gen of technology, it's pretty fast. There's no concepts of migration. You actually outsource this to your software vendor. So SaaS, the software as a service. Yeah. Uh, entity and that present a massive benefit. The second yeah. thing that enterprises are massively interested in, not just that speed we, we, and simplicity, but also the agility. If today, let's say uh, you want to run a machine learning algorithm, a model, you're training a model, you need to use the latest and greatest uh, GPU card. Let's pick one from NVIDIA. Mm -hmm. And then we know that NVIDIA, for instance, every year they're coming up with new chipsets. If you were to purchase that NVIDIA chipset today, the GPU card today, a year from now, that's going to be an outdated card. There's going to be cards that enable you to run much faster, right? The pace of innovation is a hockey stick today, yeah, right? It, it's, correct. it's accelerated at a pace that just we can't keep up. And so with cloud, you just need to shut down your your uh, your models, for, stop uh, stop your models from running on that legacy, legacy like one-year-old ch uh, uh, chip, and then reprovision in the next five minutes on this new chip. And so yeah. now you're getting this benefits of agility. Suddenly now you're shifting from one technology to a newer one with uh, the click of a button. Now, few buttons and few configurations sometimes required, but within minutes or hours, you're, you're up and running in the, in the new technology. In the right. legacy world, well, you'd have to purchase this, 
equipment, you'd have to secure a data center space to, to put it, the power required, you'd have to hire uh, engineers, infrastructure people to set up this environment. And then you'd have to amortize the cost of it over the course of three to five years. If in two years time frame after you purchase that, there's a breakthrough innovation from that same vendor, you're stuck for the next couple of years because you bought that equipment as a CapEx. Today, yeah. with cloud, because you're consuming as an OPEX, you can easily shift to the latest and greatest. And that just represents one of the biggest benefits. And last one, the third one, is from the financial implication. Previously, you had to secure a budget to purchase this whole infrastructure as a CapEx, as a capital expenditure that you'd pay up front. Mm -hmm. uh, as of now, uh, as when in the cloud computing model, then you just pay as you go. You don't have to secure this large budget. You just pay on demand. Uh, you don't have to worry about securing a large budget, etc. And that represents another benefits. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There are like big financial cost savings that were introduced with the cloud. Uh, but now that you mentioned this computer example, I remember as well, like you know, maybe twenty years ago now, uh, when when Google Drive was introduced maybe not that not that long maybe 15 years ago i'd say and then when we for the first time uh, you know saved our uh, files and documents in a folder but that folder was actually on the internet and then we could access it from anywhere from any terminal and even edit an excel spreadsheet a google spreadsheet uh, at the same time on the cloud on the internet so that was kind of a big breakthrough at that time a big aha moment for everybody Okay, cool. Um, uh, you you mentioned like uh, a move from capex capital expenditures to opex operating expenses, but you know, question to you: Are the, and I guess like those opexes probably went up, but they are still much lower than the capex that you used to pay before, right? So, so that's what you're saying. So. This is when it gets a bit complex and it's case by case because we've seen so many from both sides. Okay. And I like to use the analogy of uh, owning a car that everybody, our audience will, will easily uh, relate to is if you were owning your own car that you'd yeah. use on a regular basis to commute, to do uh, uh, your trips versus going with uh, a taxi or as you go service, think of uh -huh. Uber, Lyft or others. Uh, so definitely, instead of securing a large amount of money up front, whether you take a loan uh, or you pay it one shot for that car, mm -hmm. it's an investment that you have to make up front. And once you decide on the size of it, right, like you might go with a car that only has uh, four seats or yeah. five seats. And then later you, you you realize you need a car that, 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 that has seven seats. Or maybe later you realize you need a car that is faster. Well, you're stuck with that car unless you do a trade to sell it and, and buy a new one and you have to go through uh, paperwork and all that stuff. In the data center and cloud space, it's very similar. Like uh, you're purchasing this large data center assets. We're spending uh, the data center infrastructure. Uh, average enterprise would spend between uh, 10 to $100 million uh, in a single contract to purchase that asset, depending how big their workload is. And uh, over the next five years, you have that infrastructure. Uh, you spend that money and you, you, you'd better make sure you you you... You use it as much as you can and maximize uh, the usability of that. In the operational expenditure model, you don't have to worry about that at all. Today, you want to consume uh, X number of resources or you have X terabyte of data you want to store. You just pay for that and, and put it in the cloud. Tomorrow, if it goes lower, then you reduce it. 
the big challenge is uh, sometimes if let's say you purchase that car back, back to that example of you purchase your personal car you t- you went with five seat uh, five passengers car well maybe at sometimes you need seven passengers yep. so you struggle and you're not gonna buy a seven passenger and then deal with it it might consume more power it might consume more space while most of the time you'll just be consuming two uh two passengers will be consuming it. So that flexibility, we call it agility and flexibility, comes at a price. So that's why we don't end up really just comparing, oh, the OPEX, the total uh, spent on uh, OPEX versus the one CapEx investment. Yes, the OPEX might end up being higher and it tends Mm -hmm. to be higher, but that agility that I just described, that flexibility has a price and you have to factor it in in your uh, pricing model. Okay, okay. I mean, uh, I think now it's a good segue to move to, you know, the definitions of uh, infrastructure as a service, uh, platform as a service, software as a service, but very, very like kind of, uh, you know, in like in layman's term. uh, Yes. So if you can just explain to us, actually, the difference between those three, three models. Absolutely. So the three model you mentioned, the IaaS, PaaS and, and SaaS, it's important to understand, think of a triangle. The mm-hmm. base layer is infrastructure, so that's where you, you, you're setting up the infrastructure. Uh, on top of that, by infrastructure, we're referring to the hardware, the physical server, the physical storage, the drive, the connectivity, the network uh, uplinks, the power, okay. the data center, uh, cooling, and all that stuff. On top of it, you have the platform. So this is where it becomes more interesting for the software engineer people or uh, the developers, because now you're just focusing on, I don't have to worry about that commodity. The computer, the server has become a commodity. Uh, and you just focus on your operating system layer and above, just focusing on what matters to you to deploy. The other thing is just a commodity. Think of it as electricity. Today, electricity, people don't take it as granted. The electricity and water, just a commodity. You just want yeah. to focus on what you're cooking, for instance, in your kitchen. But So platform, this is why it gets more interesting because you focus on the operating system and focus on what you're developing. And SaaS okay. is, is on top of it, which enable you to consume the software without worrying about anything. There's no updates for you to worry about. There's no security patches. Somebody else is taking care of, and you're just consuming the service, uh, the, uh, the software as a service. Just to give what? you an idea, like yeah. 15 years, not even like 10 years ago, I was involved in a massive installation of SAP. SAP used to be one of the largest uh, or the top CRM uh, software on-prem, you had to install in your own data center and as a CapEx model. Uh, that project took us 18 months to assist the big Fortune 5 company to transform their SAP environment onto its new infrastructure. 18 months of, we were a battery of 20 people plus, 20 very senior people working on this project uh, for 18 months just to migrate to the new release of SAP. It was called SAP HANA. Today, okay. If you're consuming a SaaS model, let's take the uh, uh, the Salesforce example. Well, you just get it. You just sign up for it. You migrate just, the data. You're up and exactly. running. In, in Use no the time. internet to get yeah. it. Yeah. We're not what would be an yeah. Sorry. What would be an example of a platform as a service? A platform as a service. An example would be, for instance, uh, uh, Force.com. It's also a company owned by uh, Salesforce, or uh, uh, Google has the platform. What is it called? Is uh, it like this environment where you where developers can actually develop uh, applications on top? This is kind of the platform as a service in a way that that's the layer that we're talking about. Correct. Correct. Okay. So uh, it, it enables you to focus on 
the environment is set it up, the infrastructure is set it up, you get okay. a shell and you just start provisioning, uh, you just provisioning your uh, software application. You're just now coding your environment, etc. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Google has something I've seen recently, an article about, uh, it was about AI. They have a, um, like an environment, uh, I don't remember exactly the name, but Google Machine Learning probably, or Google, uh, Google AI, where you can develop, where you, can, where you have pre-trained AI models that you can then use to develop your own application. Would that be an example of a PA, uh, of a pass, or that's more of a SaaS? That's more of a SaaS. So Google oh, SaaS. App okay. Engine, App Engine is the name of the uh, pass of Google, of Google okay. Cloud. It's called App Engine. Uh, and uh, Heroku would be another famous one that uh, Salesforce also own and operate. Okay. And the infrastructure as a service, we've already touched upon that. So it's basically the hardware component. So basically the typical example that we used to give, I, I think at Google, uh, in the, I mean, I wasn't by the way, in the cloud computing team, I was in the digital marketing team, mostly search, but I used to hear like, you know, Microsoft Exchange, for example, was like this uh, hardware, uh, 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 you know, a based model. And then, you know, you kind of ditch those, those hardware and then you just like go to the cloud. You just like have Gmail for, for, for companies, for example. So, Absolutely. yeah. Or Office 365 if you want to stick with Microsoft. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, now, one concern that a lot of people, a lot of uh, uh, business people and decision makers often have about the cloud is the security. So how do you cloud providers ensure that, you know, their data, which is now not anymore at their, on their premises, but on the cloud is secure? And that's a very good question. Now, uh, it's definitely secured when you're running in a cloud environment, but we need to understand that it's a shared responsibility model. Like mm -hmm. uh, it would be a mistake for an enterprise or, for, or a consumer to just put that data in the cloud and say, oh, I transferred the responsibility for the security to that my provider. Okay. So it's a shared responsibility model where the cloud service pr provider is responsible of the security of the cloud and the consumer or the enterprise is responsible of the sec security in the cloud. What does that mean to our audience? What it means is that definitely those cloud service providers of using Google uh, Cloud as, as one of them, they have a battery of engineers and experts uh, in security field and in a SOC team that's monitoring the environment 24-7, patching everything. They're doing their best to protect their environment mm -hmm. and as much as possible minimize the, the attacks or uh, block and stop uh, intrusions from happening or attacks into happening into any consumer's data or enterprise data sitting in their cloud. But you as a consumer who's putting that data in the cloud, you're also responsible of that data because even with all the efforts done by the cloud service provider, you can do a misconfiguration and expose your data to the public internet. Okay. Cloud service provider as Google cannot identify or tell whether that was intentional because that data set is open to the public or not. So they cannot prevent you from mistakes, uh, yeah. from this type of mistakes, because you cannot tell if it's intentional or unintentional. And there's a lot of innovation also happening in our industry where you, because again, like the model consists of consolidating multiple users or multi-tenancy, we call it, or like different people, different application running as much as possible, consolidated next to each other on a single hypervisor, on a single machine. And sometimes 
there's we find out that there was been ways where a machine can listen to some traffic happening on the same uh, on the machine on a virtual machine that's that's running on the same physical hardware that this initial machine is so imagine okay. you're running an enterprise is running a, a virtual machine on a server in the cloud but their yeah. competitor is also running on that same machine and a hacker or a malicious person is running on that same physical machine yet so they might be able to do things to listen to identify specific okay. things. Also, the other challenge we're seeing today is what if there was a malicious employee at the cloud service provider yeah. that were to take a snapshot of that physical hardware, right? Dump it to a certain wow. USB image and take it home. But there, there's ways to defend against that. So there's something called confidential computing, which, okay. which is something still in research today. And we have early implementation from different cloud service providers which consists of saying when, when you load your data in memory on the server, well, I'm gonna, it's gonna be encrypted. So make sure the data is encrypted in flight, in, uh, in, in flight on transit at rest, but also while being processed. So then okay. if a malicious employee were to take a snapshot or a dump for it, well, it's encrypted. There's also other ways such as uh, TXT or TPMs, trusted platform models, where the processor itself on which the machine is running will be tied to that virtual machine. So if somebody were to steal that virtual machine and try to run it on a different server or a, or a machine, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't even boot because it will detect that it's a different hardware. So I'm not going to let you uh, do that. So there's okay. there's a lot of innovations. There's different ways that are happening. It's an industry that, that is here to stay. There's yeah. a lot of innovation that we still need in our industry for that space. But it's not today something that is blocking the users or the consumers or okay. enterprises to migrate to the public cloud. So, so security is not really a concern for most industries, right? That's what you're saying. Unlike 10, 15 years ago, it was a big challenge and concerns. It was the main reason why people wouldn't migrate to the cloud. Today, we've evolved so much. The okay. offering has expanded so much across different cloud service providers that there's so many ways where you can ensure uh, the security of your data and provide attestation. There's also some uh, compliance frameworks such as the C-Star and others that regulates those cloud service provider in order to follow specific standards and that attest that this is being uh, respected and followed. So I, I would say that it shouldn't be, it's no longer the main driver for blocking the move to the public cloud. Okay, okay, I see. So a lot of work already has been done and I guess, as you just said, a lot is still, I mean, I mean, there's like a continual, a continual effort and focus uh, on that. So, so yeah. All right. uh, and onto uh, innovation, by the way, what do you think are like some, you know, interesting innovation that, you know, that we should be excited about within the, the, the cloud computing industry in general? Sure. Uh, I'm a big believer that the, the, the IT industry or the computer science industry follow a trend, which consists of a wheel. So, okay. We start at a concept, then we, we go so far from it and we say, look how innovative we are. And yeah. then after that, we want to innovate from that concept. We end up finding ourselves back to where we were. Oh, an example, okay. an yeah. example would be when cloud computing came. Before cloud computing, mainframe was a big innovation. Oh, the supercomputer where we consolidate everything in a single machine. Okay. And then after that, we said, no, what if that failed? Like it's so much... We, we, we're putting all our eggs in one basket uh, kind of a thing, right? From a resiliency perspective, we, we're exposed to high risk. Let's move to a distributed model. And this is where service-oriented architecture came to play. It was like, yeah. oh, let's do distributed systems. And it was the big thing. 
and 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 that's when I started my career was HPC, high performance computing, doing distributed system, and we were running on. And, and my project was to migrate off a large SMP server machine from Sun Microsystem that no longer is on the market into multiple x86 white boxes to replicate what Google was doing at a hyperscale model with their okay. white boxes. So I was moving from a centralized box to a decentralized boxes. Yeah. And then later, fast forward 15 years, cloud computing is standard. You consolidate everything into one cloud computing vendor. Oh, okay. So I see what you guess mean. Guess what's the next innovation is going to be? Like, <laughs> how do we get out of cloud computing and be more decentralized, right? That's like, the like, the, like the blockchain, probably? or Maybe blockchain would be a platform that would run on top of it. But but yeah, we could, we, we, there's some ideas to be learned from blockchain. Yeah. But uh, like now we're talking about the edge and the AI at the edge, the robotics, the self-driving cars, etc. They need processing. They need low latency. It cannot just be processed in the public cloud, uh, right? Uh, streaming 8K definition. Well, now we're hearing about 16K uh, oh. high definition stream. Like we need something we're calling at the edge. Uh, and so for the next innovation, maybe it's going to be get out of the cloud, be spread it across different edge nodes or okay. another kind of distributed model. Okay. Pretty interesting. And so... So you see it like kind of evolving in a way that is not really predictable. That, that's how we see cloud technology evolving. Or, or like there are like some, some forays into specific, you know, uh, kind of direction already. Is this kind of uh, predictable or? I would say it's a mix of both, okay. right? Nobody will be able to predict you what's the next application would be, right? Because yep. at the end of the day, it's whatever consumer or big enterprises will end up needing in their for their business applications. And that's so, that's also evolving, right? Because keep in mind, cloud computing is here to serve the software, right? The reason why we have infrastructure is not because we like infrastructure, it's because there's a workload, a piece of code, a software that needs needs to run on the hardware. And depending on those requirements that the software has, then we have to come up with specific uh, types of hardware and, and specs. And so those applications that drive the industry of infrastructure and platform we don't know what kind of application we'll have in the next five to 10 years. Now, definitely yeah. a lot of the analysts in our industry, such as Gartner and IDC, are saying or predicting that it's going to be majorly driven by AI, majorly yeah. driven by robotics and smart applications, but it's still something to be dictated by our industry. That's just a prediction. Okay. Uh, talking about AI, how, how does AI fit within the cloud computing universe? Yeah, uh, great question. So it, I, to answer this question, I would say it, it can fit into two models, at least that I can think of. First, it could feed and improve cloud computing as an AI application. So okay. for instance, Google was sharing publicly that they were leveraging AI in order to turn off computers in their cloud environment. Oh, okay. They're sitting on hundreds of thousands, millions yeah. of physical servers running, consuming energy across the world. And yeah. carbon footprint is a massive thing today in our industry uh, that consists of saying, hey, enterprise, you have to consume less uh, uh, energy. You have to be more energy efficient. You have to, your carbon footprint needs to be neutral, if not negative, there's ways to do that. And so they were using AI to predict which environment were no longer going to be used, which machines could be consolidated. So then they would start shutting down environment on demand at large scale. So... Mm -hmm. When, when you're operating a battery of millions of servers 
few improvements uh, here and there across different data centers multiplied by the number of data centers and, and, and uh, servers you have, you're generating large numbers. So they were using AI, that's a way to leverage AI. Now, okay. also AI as a workload that enterprises needs to improve their um, smart uh, features in their products, right? They need yeah. to embed some features and functionalities that gives assistance, that gives uh, added uh, decision-making uh, on the fly, smart uh, decision-making or, or AI. Well, they need to uh, store a large amount of data based on yeah. which they're going to have their models being trained and, and, and predict actions and take actions. That massive, large amount of data needs to sit somewhere where you're putting it in the cloud. It's in the cloud. Okay. It's in the cloud. It's the best place to store it. Okay. Uh, okay. Ten, 10 years ago, when we were running enterprises uh, environment, we were told like any data you no longer need, need, please delete it. We don't need it anymore. If oh, it's, legacy, it's beyond. Really? Okay. If it's past, yeah. Imagine oh. how we change. If it's yes. past the compliance mandatory retention period, let's destroy that data. Today, no enterprise destroy any type of data. Yes, I mean, they believe because they could the, train model the cost. Again. The cost of storing that data has gone so low, Super and cheap. you can store it on the cloud, right? I mean. Yeah, I mean, we're talking cents per gigabyte, a cents per gigabyte, wow. right? Wow. My first computer, I think, was like 100 megabyte, 100 megabyte drive. And I was like, oh, I'm getting the best and greatest. And I remember, <laughs> I remember. The guy, yeah? yes. And yes, I remember yes. the guy who sold me that was like, oh, I got you a rocket ship. 100 <laughs> megabyte of storage. You can store everything you can think of. And you remember uh, those diskettes? This uh, thing, yeah, yeah, 3.5 uh, inch floppy disks. Ex exactly. How many megabytes they used to store? Uh, 1.44 megabytes. <laughs> yeah, and it was something like we used to hold yeah. like entire games within those discounts. Yeah. You remember? <laughs> and, and that's a good example. So if you look at the cost, we used to buy the that floppy disk at one dollar. One dollar for 1.44 uh, megabytes. So let's okay. say a dollar for one and a half megabyte. Today yeah. in the cloud, you pay ten cents for for a gigabyte. Oh, wow. 10 cents for a gigabyte. Yes, yes. That's massive. That's insane. Like for, yeah. for a dollar, you're getting uh, 10 gigabytes. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's insane. 15 yeah, gigabytes. It's, it's insane. It's insane. Okay. Uh, for those interested in pursuing a career in cloud computing, do you have certain certifications or skills that you recommend they acquire? Uh, sure. That's a great question. So a career in cloud computing, in other words, a cloud computing infrastructure, if we're referring to, to that industry, uh, you, you certainly need a background in computer science. So you definitely need to study computer science, engineering, mm -hmm. et cetera. Definitely mathematics is a big piece of it. So mathematics is definitely something that you have to deal with on a regular basis, uh, yeah. especially with sizing, financial also. You're, you're crunching numbers, justifying the the... Uh, the investments, uh, doing math uh, mathematics modeling in order to predict the capacity, doing uh, yeah. uh, cloud capacity calculations. So definitely something with a background of computer science, computer engineering, and mathematics. And also we've seen people ha uh, pursue uh, certain types of certifications, right? You can go yeah. to some of the, the biggest cloud service provider, uh, to name a few, like Amazon, um, Amazon with AWS, Google with GCP, Microsoft was Azure, Oracle was OCI. And okay. you, they have their own certification that you can enroll to. They start from the base, like with the foundations. So they teach you yep. about 
what we talked at the beginning of this podcast about the the different models, etc. And then you can go up to more uh, the, uh, an architect uh, certification, to a developer certification, to a cert- security certification, to okay. uh, AI, machine learning, etc. So there's definitely multiple avenues in order um, to end up in the field of cloud computing. And for people who are more into like the business kind of side of things, can they still work in the cloud uh, computing industry like without getting too technical or they need to they need to like acquire some technical skills to be able to sell these solutions very good question now now definitely if you have uh, a knowledge in the technical or the technology you're trying to sell then it's always an added value if you take for instance an account manager an account executive client solution mm-hmm. director a business a development manager uh, it always adds adds value if you have technical knowledge of what you're trying to sell but it's not a mandatory requirements right the things okay. can get can get picked up easily because the consumer world has also picked these up so yeah. then you're being educated in your day-to-day uh, life with what's happening in the consumer world it's also very similar to what's happening in the industry in the industry world okay 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 Uh, Do you have any advice to give to someone who's just starting like their journey in the field of technology in general and then more specifically in cloud computing, like any kind of uh, tip that worked for you, maybe that could be kind of useful for those who want to uh, work in that field? Sure. I mean, one of the key things I always tell to uh, this kind of audience is the world is moving so fast. The the industry of cloud and computer science is also moving extremely fast. As soon as you graduate or land a certification, you're outdated. As soon as you get it, oh really? You get it, there's new <laughs> concepts being already developed. Okay. So my recommendation is never stop learning. Never, always be curious about what's happening elsewhere, and don't yeah. specialize in just one type of uh, technology. Try to keep broaden your knowledge across different uh, wide spectrum of technology and, and, and resources and tools. Because we don't know what's gonna be next, right? Like if you take the software engineering language, for instance, uh, there was days where C, right? back in our days, like C was the main dominant programming language. Then Java came, and and there's gonna be next iterations. Like it's 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 always evolving, and so you want to make sure you keep broaden your your knowledge across the wide spectrum of technologies and try to keep learning, stay up to date. Yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely sound advice. Thank you for that. Uh, who or what has been a significant source of inspiration or influence in your in your career, particularly? Any uh, any role model or idol, you know, Steve Jobs, maybe? <laughs> uh, I, I did have somebody, actually, who was a friend of my dad. Um, okay. So uh, my dad worked in, uh, he was a doctor, he worked in the me- medical field, uh, it wasn't a field I was interested in. And so yeah. I couldn't get like this interest of technology engineering uh, from my dad. Uh, I got so many other things from my dad, but not the engineering aspects. It wasn't something also he was passionate about, uh, for say. But his best friend was extremely passionate. And he was my role model. His name is Simon. Okay. And Simon okay. was always about, oh, he's a new technology. He's a new innovation. Uh-huh. And uh, he was using uh, technology that enabled them to send messages across 
there was no internet, so we sent messages yeah. across the wire, <laughs> right? Oh, okay. <laughs> and I was always impressed, like how I was able to achieve and do things uh, with with this electronics, right? It was electronics at that at that day, uh, back in the days. And so yeah. I was always impressed by this electronics, how he was consuming them, and how I was enabled that enabled enabled him to achieve more and know more and, and, and engage differently. And I was always passionate and impressed by how he did it. And he'd come for dinner and he'd talk about it. And I'd ask him okay. questions. And he always would give us enough time to explain. He was really into explaining and, yeah. and, 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 and helping others to understand and, 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 and making sure he finds out time for them. So he was always like one of my drivers, like, oh, that's really interesting how, how he did it. And he would always give me advice. And it's kind of similar to the advice I gave. It's like similar to what he told me. Like mathematics is the most important foundation if you want to get into that field. Yeah, and it's yeah. true to, to date. Yeah, I mean, it is. So yeah, definitely problem solving, uh, constantly finding creative ways to solve problems. I guess, yeah, that's the, that's the, uh, the, the soul of engineering and technology in general, right? So yeah, pretty interesting. Okay, um, I know that working in cloud computing, you know, it's a very fast-paced environment. A lot of new things to know. Uh, maybe a lot of pressure as well at work. How do you maintain a healthy work-life balance? Uh, you know, you know, within that uh, very, uh, I mean, let's call it tough environment and fast-moving environment. Absolutely. And and, and uh, what I've learned in my life that the senior we get, the more difficult it becomes to maintain yeah. that work-life balance due to the complexity of the things we have to deal with, due to the size of organization we're working in, due to the uh, complexity of uh, the problems and, and, and how today's work is uh, way more complex than it used to be uh, 10 years ago. So in the fast pace you mentioned, uh, I always try to find time on the weekend. You know, you mm -hmm. spend it with your family, uh, with your beloved ones, you spend it uh, exercising, try to disconnect as much as possible uh, from technology, from work. It's hard. I wouldn't say I'm 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 good at it. Uh, but <laughs> none of uh, us are, right? <laughs> yes. Like look at yeah. us now. What we're doing, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. True. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I think. But one of the best thing I've learned exercising and then having a sports activity that is regular is extremely helpful. Uh, as much as you can do it outdoor, it's even more beneficial. Uh, yeah. I know that a lot of people have shifted to do it exercises at home, but as much as you can do outdoor, it always helps. And uh, and taking time off, you know, the value of, I value a lot these days, the value of taking time off, completely disconnecting from work, and then coming back with a completely calmed and refreshed mindset. It adds massive value. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh are there any specific gadgets, tools, or applications that you cannot really live without? So you know, it could be like work-related or even, you know, personal life. Uh, yeah, like I, uh, I take a lot of notes, and okay. I, 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 friends of mine always call me the master of to-do. Like I always allocate to-do to -do lists. To-do lists. Yeah. List. So a great app that I cannot live without is. It used to be Wonderlist. It got acquired oh, by uh, I used to Microsoft. use that one. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, Satya Nadella was using it, and he was like, oh, let's purchase this company. And now it's called Microsoft To-Do. Uh, I, I run my life with to-do lists. 
okay. as well as calendar. Like that's how I plan. You you uh, mean like the the like the Outlook calendar or, or the Google Cloud calendar, like the Google calendar Cloud applications calendar. where you allocate slots. Okay. And uh, but mostly I couldn't live without the to do list. That's how I take notes. How that's how I keep track of my uh, assignments. That's how I make sure I'm uh, I deliver on what I'm accounted for. So yeah, uh, it's one of these apps that I don't know how we used to live without it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you see the future when we talk about digital and technology, like? Uh, in terms of impacting our day-to-day -day lives? Yeah, I think what we might see in the next five, uh, five years, and, it, it's, and it's coming from what the current enterprises are hiring people to do, uh, is more of connecting more, making this world even more a connected place. Uh -huh. And each piece of data becomes an asset to other applications, to other use cases that could tap into it. So we're trying to come up with an ecosystem where the data is, is, is streamlined across all your devices, all your applications, all your smart home environment, your smart car, etc. And you get to less uh, define or, or input that data. It's being pushed to you and you just have to acknowledge it or, or go with it. So we're going to see more and more of uh, assistance. We call it life assistance. And that's driven by AI, right? Like ChatGPT, for example. Now it's, it's it's being embedded. Even I've noticed recently in browsers and in your uh, uh, Microsoft uh, uh, Word uh, applications and other Office applications. Right? It's kind of suggesting you like things or text or. Absolutely, and and maybe not ChatGPT as the front end, but definitely applications that are using ChatGPT or equivalent at the back end and being pushed in a more consumer fashion, less engineering uh, effect and less interaction required, right? So I think yeah. in the next five, 10 years, we'll need to type less uh, stuff and we'll be more exposed to things that we'll engage and interact with through which form of device. Uh, it's going to be an evolution of what we have today. I don't think it will be drastically different, yeah. right? We're not in the, uh, there's something called sci-fi AI. Sci-fi AI is what we see oh. in the movies, right? Terminator. Yes. Uh, yeah, or uh, yeah, the Terminator. Yeah, and also uh, Iron Iron uh, Iron Man, right? Like yeah, Iron uh, Man, Star Wars, Star exactly. Trek. Uh, Iron so. Man has an assistant called uh, Jarvis, I think, and it oh. helps him. It helps Tony Stark, you know, create the next super suit or whatever. And then it's all he just like gives gives the AI uh, uh, oral instructions, and then the the AI builds like out of. Uh, his his super suit. Anyway, yeah, but, but so we're, we're not we're not yet there, but we're definitely we're not there trending into that direction. I mean, ChatGPT last December was something big, right? I mean, uh, it, I mean, a lot of people were like surprised at how powerful it is at writing copy, and I think it has already started to impact the content writing industry. Yes, like people who write content for their blog, their site, etc are probably not using as much as before, like agencies and freelancers to do that. They can like now just do it on the, you know, you know, by just using ChatGPT. Within seconds, you have an article generated that is actually quite good. They just need to edit it and then there you go. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a big threat to also education. The, the education field that we know that we went through uh, needs to evolve, needs to be transformed, not even evolve, needs to be transformed because you can dump those assignments into ChatGPT uh, 
and yeah. and then get massive assistance. Now, not to say that we also used Google back in the days to get assistance, uh, but it's becoming more and more uh, empower, uh, empowered and powerful to, to mimic human uh, behavior. And so the, our educational field, our assignments, our types, how we evaluate and assess grading needs to change in order to cope with that technology. And that's a big challenge. That's a big challenge on an industry that's been uh, consistently uh, static or stable over the past uh, decades and decennies. Yeah. And going back now to cloud computing, you know, in light of those recent AI changes and, and you know, this wider adoption of AI, do you think this is going to, in a way, kind of uh, boost as well, or like, let's say, ensure that the cloud computing industry is going to even grow bigger because there's big reliance, uh, big reliance, sorry, of AI on cloud computing? Absolutely. You're spot on, uh, Imad. Like, the... That's exactly what we predict is going to happen. The, the, the birth of the AI and the need of AI will just require more and more software engineering, more and more computer science uh, projects and, 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 and employees and, 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 and people to be hired in order to keep up with that demand. It's not going to be something that's going to play against that market. If anything, it's going to feed that market to make it even more uh, demanding and uh, bigger. But it could be that we are still on the tip of the iceberg, right? So Absolutely. things are just starting right now and we're already like, uh, you know, like impressed, but uh, maybe the best is yet to come. Absolutely. I mean, think, I, I, I tell everybody, uh, cloud computing is like the internet. Today, it's, it's not done. Internet is not over. Internet is here to stay. Cloud computing is here to stay. The innovation we're going to see in the internet is... We're far from seeing, we're far from, we just as you said it, like at the tip of the icebergs, same goes for uh, cloud computing. I mean, I'm so excited about what we're going to have in the next 20 to 30 years uh, ahead of us in terms of innovation and new models and interoperability and, and integration of all this together and the new applications that we're going to see uh, for our next generations. I mean, it's going to be super exciting uh, to be living yeah. during this era. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Cool. And on that, uh, you know, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for, uh, you know, uh, being with us today. Uh, any final words? Uh, no, that's it. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I love what you're doing with all the content and the material uh, you're sharing. Thank Keep you. Up, uh, that great word. And I'm excited to see your next one. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we're definitely going to have a second conversation soon. Uh, you know, the space is anyway moving and changing a lot. So, yeah, uh, stay tuned. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.